Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Isaiah chapter 52. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 12, and then we're going to take a look at some things. I've deviated from our normal uh, series. I'm going to conclude our series next Wednesday night, but I didn't want to conclude it on a Thursday night because I knew we'd be low tonight, and I didn't want others to miss it. As I started really putting it together this, this today more than any, I kind of, I have the outlines, I have everything I've got ready to go, but then as I started adding things to it, I thought to myself, there's some, so many important things in this particular lesson that I don't want to share it tonight and have so many miss it. And so I'm going to continue it and finish it actually next Wednesday night. So we should finish next Wednesday night with our series on the workplace. Uh, but tonight I want to, I want to ask the question tonight, and I want to ask this question. Here's the simple question I want to ask. Who's got your back tonight? Who's got your back? And so let's read in Isaiah chapter 52. And we're going to note the children of Israel to begin with. And we'll talk a little bit about them. And then we'll just uh, figure out how in the world can we get God to be covering our back, to get our back. Look what it says here in chapter 52, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. From henceforth there shall no more come unto thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus saith the Lord, ye have sold yourselves for naught, and ye shall be redeemed without money. For thus saith the Lord God, My people went down aforetime into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, saith the Lord, that my people is taken away for naught? They that rule over them make them to howl, saith the Lord, and my name continually every day is blasphemed. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he that doth speak. Behold, it is I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, excuse me, good tidings of good, that publish salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion, Break forth into joy, sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the people hath comforted his people. The Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence, touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her, be ye clean, that bear the vessels of the Lord." For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rearward. It was a number of years ago, and I've probably told the story before, but I remember being at a wrestling match years ago. And there we were up in the stands, and a fight broke out down on the floor. It wasn't the wrestlers, it was some of the folks that were screaming and hollering and supporting one another's teams, but before it was over with, I mean to tell you, it appeared that a brawl would ensue. It seemed as though everybody was just going to break out and just erupt. I mean, folks were yelling and they were cussing, they were pushing and just everything that goes on in a situation like that. 
It was kind of scary, to be honest with you. I was just a, a young fella, and my, my brothers and I were with my dad there. And I remember my dad kind of gathering us young guys together, and, and he said, now, if this thing breaks out, keep your back against mine. That way we can cover each other's backs. And so I, I, I pictured this vision. There was my brothers and there was my dad. And, and I just saw us putting our backs up against each other. And, and then he said, and as we, if it breaks out, you put your backs up against one another and we'll make our way and we'll move toward the door. But you don't let anybody get to, your back, to, to, to my back and I won't let nobody get to yours. I've got your back, you got mine. You know, in life, it's true for every one of us. We need someone to have our back, don't we? I mean, whether it's in a place like that, a, a gymnasium where a brawl breaks out, or maybe it's at some other place, a mall or something where something takes place, you want somebody to cover your back, whether it's in a fight or whether it's just in life itself. We need people, someone, to cover our back. Our passage here, then, in, in chapter 52 of the book of Isaiah is a passage that kind of looks past the predicted Babylonian captivity. It kind of goes beyond that. And it kind of goes, as the Bible says in verse 6 here, it addresses the day of the Lord. So it goes beyond. So it's prophetical as well. Not only is something taking place at that time in history, but it's also looking to the future prophetically. In verse 6, the Bible simply tells us, Therefore my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know in that day. That day. That day is a reference to the day of the Lord. And so it's a, a prophetical passage as well. And this day uh, that it's talking about is when Christ shall come and deliver them out of the graves of the nations and shall establish them once again into their land. They will once again experience the peace and the safety that God had promised all along. But because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience, of course, they found themselves in the graves of all the nations. And there'll be a day when God will gather them once again and he'll be their rearward. But even in our passage today, as we look at the passage now and as we look at its present, not just present application, but we look back in the past and historically speaking, we're going to see that they're facing an enemy by the name of Assyria. And the king of Israel is struggling and he's concerned and he's worried about the safety of their nation. And sadly enough, we're going to see that he's going to turn to another nation for protection. He turns to Egypt. And in verse 12, the Bible says that the God of Israel will be your rearward. He says, I'm the one that wants to have your back. I'm the one that will have your back. And what he's saying is basically the rearward is the part of the army that marches in the rear. In Israel's day, they fought so many battles. I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, it didn't matter whether it was the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Amalekites, the Midianites. It didn't matter, the Philistines, whomever it might have been, but there was that rearward, that rearward uh, the, a group that would go behind and make sure that no one got behind them. And God's saying in this passage, he's saying to Israel, he's, he's saying, listen, I'm going to tell you something, I'm going to be your rearward in that day. And he was their rearward in this day at one point, but we're going to talk just a little bit about that. But notice what it says, and I'll read this to you in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. Israel had turned to Egypt to be their rearward or to be that one that would come to their aid that would help protect them from their enemies 
It says, now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, even upon Egypt, on which if a man lean, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, unto all that trust on him. Sadly enough, Israel had turned to Egypt in this very difficult situation they found themselves in. I mean, a tremendous enemy of the Assyrians We'll find later that 185,000 ultimately die that were Assyrians and that God sent the angel of the Lord to do his bidding. But may I say in the beginning, Israel turned to Egypt and Israel sought their help. Israel determined in themselves that they could not trust God. They had to trust in man. And boy, what a mess that turned out to be. In this case, he's talking about reeds. And reeds were something that were commonly used in that day. And if you know anything about reeds, they're found in marshy lands, a large, if you will, they're kind of that long grass, if you will, uh, a hollow jointed stem, often referred to in that way. Bamboo would be considered uh, a reed, if you will. And in this case, it's not only a reed, but it's a bruised reed. And he's saying Egypt is likened, the king or Pharaoh is likened unto that bruised reed. A reed itself is not really something you want to rest your weight on. It's not something you want to really depend on to hold you up. But a bruised reed is going to fail you every time. And that reed, of course, again, represents Egypt. And it represents any worldly form that we depend on outside of God, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Judah was guilty of depending on Egypt, the bruised reed. And that bruised reed could not deliver them. But, praise the Lord, they eventually turned to God. And God, of course, brought them a great deliverance. And in verse 12, we note that he says, The God of Israel will be your rearward. He'll have your back. And boy, did he ever have their back. I wonder, who has your back? Who has your back tonight? In the passage, it's interesting to note, look if you will in verse 12 again. It says, For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you. I think that's interesting because look at the next phrase. And the God of Israel will be your rearward. So here, think about this for a minute. In the passage, we note that it was only after God was out front that he had their back. Now you think about that for a minute. Notice again in the passage, he says, For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rearward. It wasn't until God was out front that he had their back. I'm going to tell you what, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty important truth. That's a very important truth. So if you and I want God to have our backs tonight, then we have to allow him to be out front or first in our life. See how simple that is? Well, tonight, I want to spend just a moment and talk about how do we put God first or out front then? And I'm just going to note two things, real simple thoughts. 
I, I mean, honestly, there's nothing that's going to be new to you. I mean, you're, you're here tonight on a Thursday night. You've made your way to the, the church house in the midst of a holiday week and all of that, and yet here you are. So I'm sure you've heard these things, but boy, we need reminded. I mean, if we want God to be our rearward, if we want him to have our back, then he's got to be out front. And how do we get him there? Let's take just a couple moments and note that. Let's first of all pray, however. Father, we come to you. We want to thank you again for this time that we have together tonight. We ask, Lord, you'd bless it. Again, Holy Spirit of God, we need you to speak to hearts and work in lives. Without your presence and power tonight, this will all be a waste of time. People do not need to hear from a mere man. They need to hear from you, the master. So, Lord, do your perfect work in our hearts and lives. We need you. Lord, fill me with thy spirit and, Lord, guide my tongue and help me, Lord, to truly be a blessing and a help to these thy people. But, Lord, more importantly, may I just simply honor you. Lord, in doing so, I'm sure the rest will be taken care of. Be glorified now, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, if we're going to put God first or out front, then we have to spend time in his word. And someone says, ah, yeah, I've heard this a million times. Don't worry, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Because you have heard it a million times. You ought to hear it a million times. But let me tell you something. God's word is his love letter to mankind. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know how you can get bored reading the word of God. Now, I'm not saying that at times portions of it don't become somewhat stale to us. And listen, if you're like me, you're trying to read through the Bible and you try to get through it a number of times each year, things like that. And, and honestly, it, it, sometimes you're in certain sections of the Bible that aren't quite as exciting as others. But may I say, we need to always remember, this is God's love letter to us. This is God's word to mankind. This is something that is eternal. It's not simply temporal. And when you spend time in God's word, you are essentially telling God, I am listening. I'm listening, God. Because that's his word. I mean, when I go to my parents' house, I sit and I listen to my dad. I listen to my mom. And what I'm telling them is, I'm listening to you. Now, I don't know if that matters to you, but you're going to find that when it's all said and done, people really want someone to listen to them. If there is a lack of communication today, it is not the fact that we do not talk. It's that we do not listen. Listening is the better part, the most important part of communication. Listening to someone speaks volumes. And whenever you don't pay attention to what others have to say, you send them a message. You say to them, if you don't listen to other people, if you don't listen to that person that's speaking to you, you say to them or you are telling them, that you don't value them. But when you listen to others, you communicate that you respect them. Even more, you show that you care. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you, you take a person and you're trying to talk to them and you just know they aren't listening to you. What they're really saying is you're not really that important to me. That's what comes across. That's how you feel. Obviously, what I'm saying doesn't matter to you because what I'm saying isn't important. And obviously, if what I'm saying is not important and it's not something you care to listen to, you probably don't think I'm too important either. Now, listen, when, a, when, when, when you get into your marriages and your relationships, listening is the better or bigger part of communication. I know a lot of times women will say something like, well, man, he's not, he doesn't communicate. He doesn't talk. Yeah, if you're not speaking or you're not sharing anything, that's one thing. But let me tell you something. Your wife would probably be ecstatic if you would just simply listen. 
I'm talking about if you'd actually turn the television off. Or if it was on, you might walk out of the room and stand in the kitchen a while and listen to her talk. Now listen, I'm not saying that, that that's the epitome of communication, but I'll tell you this much, it's hard sometimes when we're watching other things and we're focused on other situations and we're saying, well, I'm listening, yeah, I heard what you said. And they're thinking, you don't really care what I have to say. And what you're really essentially telling them and how they feel is you don't care about me. I'm not valuable. Well, listen, when we spend time in God's word, we're saying, I'm listening, God. And boy, I tell you what, what that says to God is, is that he's valuable to you. He's important to you. Man, when you don't read God's word and you don't get into the word of God, what you're really essentially saying is, it doesn't matter what you have to say because you're not that awfully important in my life right now. You say, no, it isn't. I'm just busy. Right. What the other things you have in your life are more important than him. Well, I have to listen to my kids and I have to listen to my wife. Okay, well, you're listening more to the wife and the kids than you are God because if that's the case, then you've placed them above God. They're your idols now. Well, I don't have time to read God's word. I don't have time to hear the word of God. I don't have time to listen to God. But you have time for everybody else? Is that what you're telling me? That doesn't make any sense. What you're saying to God is essentially, you're no longer valuable to me. You're not necessary. I can do it alone. I don't need you to cover my backside. I got it covered myself. But you got to have God out front before he's your rearward. You got to have God out front before he's covering your back. So in order to do that, you need to spend time in God's word. German-born philosopher, theologian Paul Tillich, he made the statement, the first duty of love is to listen. Oh, I love the Lord. Do you listen to him? That's the real first duty of love is to listen. Spend time in his word daily, delightfully, diligently. Spend time in God's word. That's number one. And then finally, number two. You say, wow, this is a quick one. Well, this one's about four pages. No, I'm teasing. It's not that long, but it'll last a little while. Trust me. Don't, don't put your shoes back on, ladies. And Although we'd like to think they've been on all along because every once in a while. But anyway, uh, <laughs> number two, surrender to his will. Surrender to his will. Not only spend time in his word, but surrender to his will. Often we misunderstand the will of God. You know, we get the idea that someones, it's something somehow that's spooky or mystical somehow. But in reality, it's spelled out in the word of God. God's will for your life, God's will for my life is spelled out. As a matter of fact, again, the will of God, and this may... It, 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 sometimes it's misunderstood in the sense that when I say it, people are like, no, nah, that's impossible. But let me say this. God's will uh, for your life is the same as his will for my life. Someone says, that's ridiculous. No, no, it's not. Not at all. Again, you maybe struggle with that statement, but I assure you it is the case. The distinction needs to be made between the plan of God for your life and the will of God for your life. There's a distinction there. There's a difference God's will for your life is spelled out in the word of God. God's plan for your life is quite different than it is from mine or anyone else's. Listen, I can tell you exactly what God's will for your life is. I can't necessarily tell you what God's plan for your life is. You say, really? Yeah, well, let's talk about that for just a moment then. Again, if we're going to put God out front so that he can, be, that he can have our back, then we need to surrender to his will. We need to surrender to what we know to do. 
It's funny, isn't it? Because if the will of God is so mystical, if the will of God is different for you, different for you, and different for you, then who in the world's going to tell you that you're not right with God? How in the world can you gauge or, or can you somehow identify whether you're on the right path or not? If it's all different. Well, for you, you, you can smoke and drink. For you, you can cuss and swear. For you, you oh, God being God, got an understanding. His will for my life is different. I'm working with the downtrodden. I'm working with those that don't understand what cleanness is or righteousness is. So I got to get at their level. Oh, that's the will of God for your life, to be like the world then. See, and someone would say, well, that's not what I'm talking about, but that's where it can go. That's why you have groups today that are in bars today drinking alcohol, calling them Bible studies. Because the will of God is so plain and clear, but they've turned their attention away from God's word and said, this is the will of God for us. No, no, it's not. The will of God is spelled out in Scripture. Let's find out what it says then. Well, over here, the Bible tells us that the will of God is that you get saved, first of all. That's the will of God. You say it is? Yeah, 2 Peter 3, 9. Go ahead and write it down. You don't need to turn to everything. I'm just going to quote them quickly because of time. But the Lord is not slack concerning our promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not willing that any should perish. What's his will then? Well, it's obvious that all should come to repentance. He wants everybody to know Christ. He wants everybody to be saved. That's his will. Someone says, I don't want nothing to do with Christ. Well, you don't want the will of God in your life. God takes no pleasure in a person going to hell. None whatsoever. God would have everyone believe. God would have everyone repent. That means he, needs, he wants everyone to be born again. And therefore, if you're, out of, if you're not born again, then you're out of the will of God. If you're not a child of God, you're out of the will of God. If you haven't trusted and received Christ your Savior, you're out of the will of God. His will is that you get saved. What else? Biblically, scripturally. Well, His will is that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And that you be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You say, really? Yeah, Romans 12, 1 and 2, our passages, our, our, themes this year, our theme verses this year. Again, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God is looking for men and women who will allow him to rule their lives, to have precedence, priority in their lives. You and I cannot be in the will of God as long as we think and act like the world. That's an impossibility. Matter of fact, in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 29, the Bible tells us we're to be conformed to the image of his son. We're to be Christ-like in our appearance, our attitude, and our actions. We ought to look like Christ. We ought to go out into the world and be little Jesus as little Christ. That's his will. Not only that, but his will is that you don't waste what little time God's given you to serve him. You and I are on a limited amount of time tonight. We have only so much time before either our heart gives out or Jesus comes back. And God's will for you and God's will for me is that we do not waste that time. That's his will, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. 
Go ahead and turn there. It's so important to understand this. We live our lives like we have not only tomorrow, but we have next week and we have next month and next year. We live our lives like we have another decade. But in reality, we are only promised today. That's why today ought to be the best day of your life. Today ought to be the best day of my life. If you are looking to tomorrow to be the best day of your life, you are wasting your life today. And the truth is, and I'll be honest with you, there are times I have wasted my days. I think about Dixie in the hospital. I go over and see Dixie. She's got two. She's got, uh, uh, you know, these blood clots in her lungs. She's got stage, well, three or four. She had stage four cancer. She chose not to take any chemo. She chose at one point, after she'd already done some of that, she chose to do it all natural. And for years and years she's been living. For years and years. She should have been dead years ago. And every day she lives with the idea and the fact that she has cancer in her body, destroying and eating her alive. She now has blood clots that are in her lungs. And I say to her, what in the world are you going to do? How's it going to work? What do the doctors say? This and that. She says, I don't know. What I do know is when I get out of here, I'll be right back at work doing what I do every day. On Christmas morning, and again, I hope she's not listening because I don't want to embarrass her, but on Christmas morning, that woman with two blood clots in her lungs and so much pain in her shoulder and her heart thought she might be having a heart attack, but she got up and she made breakfast for her family and she still turned around and said, we need to do our gift exchange. And before it was over with that night in the hospital, she had them bring up their, their little, what are those little socks that hang on a stockings. There you go. She had them bring them up to the hospital so that they as a family could finish out their Christmas. Because she said, you know what, preacher? She said, I'm just going to keep going, and I'm going to keep going. And you know what I think about that? I think this to myself. She's not looking to tomorrow. All she knows is that she has today, and she's going to make it the best day of her life. My goodness, we live our lives like we have tomorrow. And we throw away today's. And all along we have nothing to count on but today, right now. So I don't feel good. Well, you might feel worse tomorrow. Today could be the best day of your life from now on. I don't know. I'm just saying, sometimes we lose perspective. And we, woe is me, woe pitiful me. And I, I know I'm there, trust me. I'm that person that if I get that call from the doctor, I'm freaking. But boy, I better figure it out because you know what? However many days I've got on this earth, I better make them best that I can possibly make them. Because I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm only guaranteed today. I may not be here tomorrow. Neither may you. So today could be that final day. could be the only day. The only day we're promised is now, right now, today. I think of Sister Pam and her mother going in for a routine foot surgery. Find out all of a sudden that she doesn't even make it. She dies on, because of a, a, a complication to a foot surgery. Never once would have thought this would be the end, that this would be the final time she's in the hospital. Nobody would have thought that. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And I'm kind of getting off track here a little bit. But boy, I'll tell you what, we can't waste the time, what little time we have. Notice it says in Ephesians 5.15, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And you better get in the will of God and live it. Don't waste any more time. 
Plug into his word. Plug into his will. Make sure you're doing everything in obedience to Christ. Boy, make the best use of every moment of every day you've got. Moms, do not wish away your children's youth. Don't sit around going, I can't wait till they grow up. They'll grow up, trust me, and then you'll wish they were back home if you're any kind of mother. Dad, the same thing. Boy, we just wish away so many of the things. Maybe it's a little bit tough. Maybe there's a little burden, there's a weight, without a doubt. But let's not waste it. Let's not wish it away. Let's make the best use of it. Opportunities to win and witness. Boy, we got to stay at it. The will of God. His will is that you get saved. His will is that you present your body a living sacrifice, not being conformed to the world, but being Christ-like. His will is that you don't waste what little time God's given you to serve him. Not only that, but also his will is that you obey him from your heart to be sincere and genuine. Ephesians 6, 5 through 7 says, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Boy, to be sincere, to be genuine in your heart, to be serving the Lord Jesus and others with a pure heart. That's God's will. God's will isn't that you get saved and soak, so to speak, or sit. God's will is that you get saved and serve Him and to do it with a proper attitude and a proper spirit to love what God's given you and the opportunities that He's given you and to be sincere and genuine in your service. I'm serving God. Every time I do something good here, it's really for him. So it doesn't matter whether I get a pat on the back. doesn't matter whether I get a thank you. doesn't matter what that situation is. I'm just serving Jesus Christ. And I know one day when I arrive in heaven's shore, I'll get what I deserve. Aren't you glad we don't get what we deserve here? Not only that, but his will is that you be thankful in everything. That's God's will. Everything. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Wow. I don't need to go into that one anymore, I'm sure. That's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. That's his will, though. Also, his will is that you obey those who are in authority over you. That's God's will. How quick we are to neglect those in authority over us. I put my pants on the same way you do. You know what that reeks of? Rebellion. Why is that the first thought that comes to your mind when you think about listening to someone in authority? Who's my, who cares what my dad thinks? He's just a man too. That's called because you got a rebellious heart, sir, young man. That's why you thought that first. This idea, we've kind of diminished people in authority to our level. We all bring everybody down to us because we don't want to have to obey anyone today. Wives don't want to obey their husbands. Children don't want to obey their parents. Employees don't want to obey the employer. Citizens don't want to obey the authority God's put over them too in their leadership. I'm just saying, we live in a culture and a society today where no one wants to listen to anyone, but the will of God is that you submit and obey the authority placed over you. If you will not obey that, that authority placed over you, then you're not in the will of God. 
And if you're not in the will of God, then he's not out front and he's not first in your life. That means he doesn't have your back either. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And according to that passage, we're to obey those in authority over us so that, when, that we do not give mankind an occasion to accuse us of wrongdoing and bring reproach, therefore, on the name of Christ. It's all about his reputation. Well, I don't agree with what's going on. Obey the authority, though. I'm not telling you to do something that's unscriptural. You just obey. This idea that you have a right because you don't like the person that's telling. Listen, I don't care what you think about President Trump. He's our president. I don't care what you thought about President Obama. He was our president at that time. I don't care what side of the coin you land on, Democrat, Republican, whatever. The fact is the president is still our president. You need to do what you're supposed to do. You don't have to agree with policy. You don't have to agree with the, the way, the personality. But my friend, the position demands our respect. Some of, President Obama would have invited me to the Oval Office. I'd have been there like that. And I'd have been looking the best I could look. I didn't agree with the policy. I didn't agree with his position. I didn't agree with the future that he had. I didn't agree with his position on religion. I didn't agree with none of the policies he had. But, buddy, he was my president. I still had to pray for him, and I did pray for him. And I still wanted him to succeed because he represents our nation. My goodness, we live in a day where we think somehow we have a right because we don't agree with somebody to disobey them. And so then we wonder why our own children don't obey us when they disagree with us. Well, I don't care what that pastor says. That's stupid. I ain't doing it. And then we wonder why our kids disobey us. Don't even make sense. That teacher at school, how dare they do that, say that to my kid. Man, you better teach your kid to obey the teacher at school, even if it means taking one on the chin every once in a while. Because that's life. I'm just saying we need to be realistic about this. The will of God is that we obey those that are in authority. We wonder why our lives are, are, are wrecked and ruined. Maybe because we're not in the will of God like we think we are. He's not really out front. Because he's not out front, he doesn't have our back. And boy, we are just a dead land. We are a wasteland in many cases. Our families are being wrecked and ruined, and we wonder why. Maybe it's because he's not really out front. And if he's not out front, then he doesn't have our back. Finally, his will is that you remain pure and holy. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 through 7, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That's the will of God. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. That's the will of God. So if we're going to put God first in our, or, or out front, then we have to spend time in his word. And we must surrender to his will. That means we need to listen to God and we need to obey God. It's not complicated. It's so simple. We are to listen and obey. 
And in listening and obey, we place God out front. And when he is out front, he's got your back. Israel had chosen to cover their own backs. They made up their mind. They didn't need God. They took matters into their own hands. Matter of fact, they turned to Egypt. A type of the world, mind you. Egypt. And they turned to the world to protect and preserve their nation against the enemy. And of course, that proved to be a very, very bad decision. But they finally wised up at one point and they began to listen to God and obey His will or His word. And God assumed His rightful place out front. And when He assumed His rightful place out front, He had their back. Isaiah 52, 12, For ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rearward. That's awesome. Don't get in such a hurry that you leave God behind. The pressures of life, boy, they can cause us to jump, to react. But while you and I are on the run, we are prone to make some pretty bad decisions. When you feel rushed or forced to make a decision, you're likely to make a bad decision. God simply says, you put me out front and I'll have your back. Think about it as we close, but think about the Red Sea. I'm going to read a portion of scripture, but you're going to see that, of course, God led them out of Egypt. We know that. And in order to do that, he was out front. But now the enemy is pursuing them from behind. And they find themselves facing the Red Sea with the enemy pressing hard to their rear. And the Bible says in Exodus 14, 19, and the Lord, excuse me, and the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came to pass, excuse me, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground. The waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. See, God was out front first, but he also had their back. Is God out front in your life today? As we conclude 2018, is he out front? Does he have your back? If he's got your back, you're in good shape. Oh, you might make a mistake here and there. But he's got your back. 
Oh, you're going to fall and stumble potentially, even though you've got him out front and you're trying to do the best you can to leave him out front. Oh, but I'm telling you, he's going to have your back. But boy, if he doesn't have your back, trouble's on the horizon. When you and I begin to look to the world for protection or to cover our backs, there's all kind of attacks that avail themselves to us. I mean, we are vulnerable of all kinds of mischief. We're sitting ducks in the world if God's out, not out front and he's not our rearward. See, when we depend and trust on him above all others, he's out front providing direction and he's in the rear providing protection. But we got to get him out front first. And if you get him out front, he's got your back. Spend time in God's word and surrender to his will. Listen to God and obey God. That will put him out front. And if he is out front, he's got your back. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time that we've had together in your word. We thank you for the simplicity of it. Lord, we ask that you would just work and move in our lives. Now, Father, speak to us and use us as we take our 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 bodies, our minds, our persons out into this world that's lost, into the 